Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast with Pastor Stephen. Today, you're listening to his sermon titled, My Debt of Love, and it comes out of Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We've been walking through the book of Romans for 51 weeks. And so we've been there for a while. We've had a few breaks and various other things. So we've been in it for, uh, for about a year and a half now. And last week we were talking about debt. Debt. The, 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 the debt that we have when it comes to the government. And some of you are like, well, I didn't catch that part. Well, no, not the government's debt. I'm talking about us being indebted. Uh, to the government and um, you know sometimes I'm really not too clear in the way that I communicate I get that I get that uh, I'll give you an example of this I had a woman come up to me not too long ago she was very serious and we were talking and here's what she said she said I'm sorry uh, to hear that uh, about your wife's first marriage I'm like I, I'm, I'm not really I'm not really going with you on that I don't I don't really know I don't know what you mean. She said, well, you know, your, your, your wife's been married before. I'm like, no, no, she's not. I, you think I'd know that. I, what, what makes you say that? And she said, I've heard you say from the pulpit that the biggest person that you have the greatest problem with is your wife's first husband. And I'm like, that's me. I have the greatest problem with me. Okay. So, I may not necessarily always do the greatest of being clear when I'm trying to communicate something, but friend, listen to me. The Bible always is. The Bible always is. I guess the deal today is, it's not you and I sitting there saying, oh my goodness, I've got a real problem understanding the Bible. I don't know it's about understanding the Bible as much as it is about obeying the Bible. Hello. Obeying the Bible. And so last week, as we were walking through the book of Romans, he talks about the only position that anyone has in authority over us is that position which God has given to them. And we talked about the government, and we talked about how we are to be submitted Uh, submitting to the government, right? That's what a good Christian does. And part of that is paying taxes. And so we're going to pay the debt that we owe and the debt of love that we owe. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Look there with me. Romans 13, look in verse 8. We'll do 8, 9, and 10, okay? 8, 9, and 10. He says number 8, excuse me, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So today we're talking about the debt that I owe. The debt that I owe, building on last week. And, you know, first of all, last week we talked about public debt. 
the public debt that you and I have. And verses 6 and 7 tell us that as Christians, again, we're to submit to the government. We're to pay our taxes because the authorities, in his words, are God's servant. And so after last Sunday's sermon, somebody came up, whether they were serious or not, I don't know. And here's what they said. They said, hey, we heard you. You were very passionate that we are to obey the government regardless of who is there. We heard you. You were very passionate. You said over and over again that as a good Christian, as a follower of Christ, that we're to pay our taxes. We're to pay our taxes. You were so passionate about it. And here's what they said. You didn't have to make a federal case out of it. And I said, you don't pay your taxes, they'll make a federal case out of it. But it's not just a federal case, it is a spiritual case. Remember what he said last week, if you were here. The reason why you do that is because you're doing it unto me. Unto me. Secondly, I want us to look at personal debt. Look at verse 8. In verse 8 he says, oh, no one anything. Now, there are some very well-meaning Christians that have, and they're sincere about this, they, they've developed this entire financial strategy built around this one-half verse, and what they say is, you should never borrow money for anything whatsoever as a follower of Christ. So, so again, let's look at what God's Word says regarding personal debt. I'll tell you something it says and something that it does not say. First of all, it does not forbid credit. This verse is not saying that credit is forbidden. Nowhere in Scripture will you find a directive saying that you cannot borrow money. Nowhere. Now, I would suggest it's a good principle to live by. It's not going to hurt you. I've never heard anyone say, oh my goodness, life would be so much better if I just had a bunch of debt. But to take this one half verse of scripture and to try to make an argument that the Bible says that you cannot borrow money is just not the case. You know, there are some great Bible commentators, some great men of God that anytime I study for messages and sermons and lay out a book series, I always listen to what they have to say, read things that they have written. And there are two that I almost go to all the time. One is Warren Wearsby. Nobody gets any more conservative than Warren Wearsby. I almost agree with Wearsby on everything that he says. The other one is John MacArthur. Now, I disagree with a lot of things that MacArthur says, but he's pretty smart. He understands what this scripture is saying. I want you to listen to what both of these say. Warren Wearsby, first of all, writes this. And I think we have the slides to show this. Um, it says, the Bible does not forbid borrowing are financial transactions that involve interest. What the Bible does forbid is the exchanging of high interest. Robbing the brethren or failing to pay your honest debts. No one should get into unnecessary debt or sign contracts that he cannot maintain. But to make Romans 13.8 apply to all kinds of obligations involving money is stretching the point. That's what Warren says. Listen to what MacArthur says. Jesus approved of financial borrowing for purposes of investment. 
Many families could never afford to buy a home without taking out a mortgage. When borrowing is truly necessary, the money should be repaid as agreed upon with the lender. Now, somewhere along the line, some Christians have gotten the idea that borrowing and lending money is of the devil. Friends, Romans 13.8 is not saying that you can never borrow money. Here's what it is saying. If you have borrowed money, pay it back. Pay it back. Pay it back when it's due. So, when it comes to personal debt, this scripture is not saying that credit is forbidden. But then there's something else I want you to see about personal debt. It does give us a caution about owing more than we can pay. The Bible talks about this over and over again. Again, that as followers of Christ, we are to be set apart. We are to be different. Our words should mean something. Anytime we enter into a transaction, then people ought to be able to depend upon our word. But listen to what Psalms 37:21 says. It says, the wicked borrow and they do not repay. But the righteous give generously. So what the Bible is saying is that you and I, as followers of Christ, we should never carry any more debt than we can successfully pay for. And the problem is we live in such a materialistic culture that it causes people to go and borrow money that they can never repay. The American culture says this. Go borrow money to buy things that you don't need to impress people that you don't know or you don't even like. And that's the American culture, right? And it gets so many people in trouble. I've heard of folks who do this. They go and get a new credit card to pay off an old credit card that they got to pay off an old credit card. And it's just a vicious cycle that goes over and over again. And that's the reason why last year in the United States of America, there were over 400,000 personal bankruptcies declared in our nation. Why is it? Because people are not, uh, they're not living and they're not obeying and they're not paying attention to what Romans 13, 8 says, which is pay your debts. So that's the personal debt. Pay your bills. Let your word be true. Let your honor be there even in the way that you handle finances. So there's a public debt, there's a personal debt, but then we get to the heart of the matter and it's a principal debt. Paul has been using these debts kind of as this, uh, this, this diving uh, opportunity to get into something even greater. It's a springboard, if you will. Yes, what he has said is absolutely true. Hey, God's the one that lets government get in authority, so you ought to listen to what they have to say. You ought to obey the rules and the laws of the land unless it is contrary to what God's Word says. You ought to pay your taxes, right? You ought to have integrity when it comes to personal debt. Yes, you need to be cautious there to make sure that you don't borrow more than you can successfully pay. All those things are true, but he's using that to get us to focus on the greater debt, which is the principal debt. 
Because guys, you and I can come to the point where all of our financial debts are paid off. And we don't owe anyone financially. Yet we're still in debt. You're always, you're always indebted. And we always keep on paying this. Here's the way that we respond to that. And here's an example. Have you ever, you ever uh, had somebody that loaned you some money? What happens every time you see that individual? Here's what you think. Oh, that got money. Oh, that woman money. And so it's there, you know, you know the responsibility that you have. So he's taking this a step further. He says, listen, you can take care of all the financial issues, all the financial debts, and yet there's still going to be that debt that you have that every time we see another person, that you and I, as followers of Christ, we ought to say, you know what, I owe that person something. And you know what you owe that person? You owe that person love. And you owe that person forgiveness. And you owe that person compassion. Now, four points that I want to draw out when it comes to this personal debt. And some of you are thinking, we started late. Does that mean that uh, you're going to cut it short? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Not my fault that the power went out. Point number one, when it comes to principal debt, your debt was paid for by Jesus Christ. Guys, there is this holy, perfect, pure God that requires the same from you and I. And it's crazy because He he created you and I, individuals who, who cannot be perfect, right? Individuals who struggle with sin and all of our lives are dealt with when it comes to sins, right? We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. And so here you and I are. We cannot relate to this holy God. What happens is folks will come along and folks will say, I know what I'll do. I'll be religious. And by the way, if you're here this morning, you're like, hey, the reason why I've shown up is because I just figured I need to be a little bit more religious. We hate religion around here. We're going to do everything we can to strip you from it. Religion says this. I will work to pay back the debt that I owe to God. I'll pay God off. And so religion is like, hey, God, I've been reading my Bible. Did you see that? Paying you back. Hey, hey, God, hey, God, have you noticed how I've been treating uh, that person who may not be my favorite? I'm paying you back. Hey, God, have you noticed that I've been coming to church? I'm there almost every time the doors are open, and so I'm paying you back. I'm doing good works, God. I'm paying you off. You can never pay God off. You and I do not have within us the capability to do enough good deeds or works for God to sit there and say, okay, you're paid in full that you and I thinking that we could ever do that and the pursuit of that is nothing more than religion itself but in salvation in salvation God looked at us and God saw that we were sinners and we could never repay the debt that we owe and so he said listen I'm going to send my son and he's going to pay your debt for you and so here's Jesus Christ Jesus Christ left heaven Jesus Christ came to earth except what was different between Jesus and us is he was able to live in this flesh perfect 
totally sinless. Don't even try to wrap your mind around it. You do not have within you the capability to even understand how somebody could walk with this same skin on and not sin. He was 100% man and he was 100% God. And at just the right time, at the cross, Jesus Christ stepped in and Jesus Christ said, Hey, Father, I know that Stephen Kyle is a sinner. Hey, Father, I know that this individual is a sinner. I know that this man, this woman is a sinner. I know that you are a sinner. And they'll never be able to pay off the debt that they owe to you, Father. So, Father, I'm paying it off myself. I'm paying off Stephen Kyle's debt. And he died. And he paid it with the gold of his blood and the silver of his tears. And when he died, he was paying our debt to a perfect God. And so when we talk about this this principal debt, this is the debt that every single one of us have. Please hear me. You cannot pay off God. You cannot buy your salvation. You say, how do you know that? I know it because Jesus paid it all. All Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain all over me. But Jesus washed it as white as snow. And so I owe a debt and you owe a debt. And what we'll say is, okay, all right, I'll admit today, I owe a debt to Jesus. And so I'm going to pay you back this debt to Jesus because Jesus is the one who incurred and paid my debt. And so I owe it to him. Well, of course, we would love to pay Jesus back. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's not who you're paying back. See, if we left it right there, we would all say, well, that was a great sermon today. Let's go home. We got three more points. Your debt was paid by Jesus and, number two, or B, (laughs) your neighbor has been designated by Jesus as the recipient of your repayment. You're like chapter and verse, okay? 13.8. You read it with me. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Jesus is saying, you know, you know how I want you to pay this back, this debt? Don't pay it back to me. Pay it back to your neighbors. You, have you ever, you ever had one of those bill collection companies call? call I mean, you know somebody who's had one of those bill collection companies, they call them or they write a letter to them and they're always real sweet and nice how they handle that, aren't they? And they're, on, they're working on behalf of another company that you owe or a doctor's office that you owe or whatever the case is. And they're like, hey, listen, you owe this, you need to pay it. You owe this, you need to pay it. You owe this, you need to pay it. And eventually, you know, you're like, all right, I'm going to pay. And you pay the collection agency. And when you pay the collection agency, that settles the bill that you had with the original lender or the original company. In some essence, that's what Jesus is saying right here, that to every single one of us, Jesus said, listen, rather than demanding you repay the debt to me, I designated him and her and him and her and him and her repay them. 
They're the collection agency. That I want you to repay me by loving those people around you. By loving your neighbors. Look in verse 8 again. He says in verse 8 again, love one another. Now the word another there is a very interesting word. And I've kind of fleshed this out in the original Greek language hoping that it was the word that it ended up not being. There's one word in the Greek language that means one another of a same kind. It's the word alos. It's where we get our word ally from. It means people who look like me and people that like the things that I like and people who dislike the things that I dislike and people who think like I think and they talk like I talk. And, you know, that, 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 that is the, the, the another, right? Love one another. That's the another. That if Jesus is saying, okay, here's the way you repay the debt that I paid for you, go out and love people who are just like you. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not the word that's used. The word that is used there in the original Greek is the word heteros. It means different than you. He's saying, here's what you do. You go out and you love people who don't think the way that you think. You love people who don't talk the way that you talk. You love people who their face doesn't look like your face, right? They, 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 they are not from where you're from, right? You know, he's saying people that are absolutely different than you go and love one another. It means you love even them. Love your neighbor. And so then, like you guys, trying to anticipate the questions that maybe some of you might ask, because what I found in my own life is that even though the Bible can be crystal clear, many times I sit there and say, well, let me try to find the loophole on that one. Maybe that's not really what he meant. Neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Well, your neighbor's the person who lives next door to you. Right? And if you like the person who lives next door to you, you're like, man, this is easy. It's also the person who lives down the street from you. That's your neighbor. Your neighbor is also the person that you drive by every morning as you're headed to work or you're headed to school. Your neighbor is that student that you sit next to in class. Your neighbor, matter of fact, your neighbor's the person that's in front of you right now, that's beside you right now, that is behind you right now. Your neighbor is somebody who lives on the other side of Panama City. Your neighbor is someone who lives on the other side of Florida, even in South Florida. Your neighbor is somebody who lives on the other side of the country. Your neighbor is someone who lives on the other side of the world. Guess who's your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone is your neighbor. And you and I, as recipients of salvation that comes through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, have now, by Jesus, been bound to show love to everyone. My goodness, why did I have to say that? To everyone. That's who we repay the debt. So you and I, our debt was paid by Jesus. He has designated our neighbors as the ones that we repay. And then third, how do you repay them? 
with love and forgiveness. That's how you repay them. You find someone who needs love and you write them out a check of love and you say, here you go, I'm going to love you because Jesus loved me. You find someone who needs forgiveness and you write them out a check of forgiveness and that's how you repay this debt. I know a lot of times when we talk about love and I've read the books and I've heard the commentators sit there and say, we know love is a concept that is not easily grasped and you know, someone's understanding of love can change from individual to individual and while you say love and I say love and I can say that I love you, really, can we really understand what that really, really means? Absolutely we can. The greatest example was shown by Jesus. So love is not some concept that is way out there that you can't wrap your mind around. Love is not something that from individual to individual changes. Love is quite simple because love is very practical. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's how practical love is. Practical love means this, that instead of you thinking of yourself, you think of others. That you put others' needs before your own. Isn't that what Jesus did? I'm telling you, friend, if Jesus Christ did not put our greatest need ahead of what his flesh was saying, you and I might, well, you might be here today. I'm not going to be here today. And I'm sure not going to be singing praise and lifting my hands to one who was selfish and withheld love. I ran across this, and these are called love rules. And they're meant to apply to a husband and wife or a parents and children, but I think this applies to even the situation that we find ourselves in right now with loving everyone. But uh, it, it basically, it means to show what it means to show love in your family. See if you, you can identify with some of these. And if, and if you, you'd like to have a copy to put on your refrigerator, if you'll email me, I'll send you this. If you open it, close it. That's, that's, that's real love rules. If you turn it on, you turn it off. If you unlock it, you lock it. If you break it, you fix it. If you can't fix it, you call somebody who can fix it. If you borrow it, you return it. If you use it, you take care of it. If you make a mess, you clean it. Can I get a witness this morning? If you make a mess, you clean it up. If you move it, you put it back where it was. If it belongs to someone else, oh, listen to this, children. If it belongs to someone else and you use it, ask their permission before you use it. And that includes your sister's clothes. If you don't know how to operate it, leave it alone. And if it doesn't concern you, just don't mess with it. Those are love rules for a family. But have you noticed all of the characteristics of the little love list all focus on someone else instead of being selfish? Well, no, 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 it's not about what I want. It's about, it's about you. It's about what you need. See, we have this idea, guys, that the opposite of love is hate. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. 
The opposite of love is self-centeredness. And husband and wives, I know you didn't come this morning thinking that you would get a counseling session and I'm not going to charge you extra for this, but as long as you're thinking about your own personal self, you'll never really love your spouse. But when instead, when instead you start thinking about meeting the needs of your spouse, guess what? That's when you become a loving marriage partner. Do you see what he is saying here? Do you see? And he started with the government. Well, what about my rights? What about I de- what I deserve? What about somebody looking out for me? He's like, no, 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 set all that what about me aside and instead say, well, it ain't about me. Some of you'd have revival in your life right now if you'd have that tattooed across your face. It ain't about me. Now, I'm not condoning or encouraging tattoos. I'm just saying if you have that put on your face, I'll buy you lunch. It's not about me. It's not about me. And yet it flies against everything that we feel and everything that we're taught and everything that we're striving toward. Again, we talk about personal debt. Hey, I don't feel like paying my bills. Well, it's not about you. You say, well, why, why, why are you telling me as a Christian I should take care of my debts and I should pay what I owe? Because when you don't, it destroys your testimony. Did you not know you were bought at a price that the life that you have is not even yours? The words that we have been given by Christ who paid our debt are not words to promote and exalt ourselves. They are words that He has chosen to work through so that we might say, can I share with you the Jesus who saved me? It's it's setting aside me. It's setting aside myself. And instead it's saying, what about others? Matthew 18 Simon Peter comes up to Jesus, and I think Simon Peter thought he was doing real good because he said, hey, Jesus, when somebody wrongs you, how many times should you forgive them? Seven times? Because most of us will say, oh, my goodness, we forgive somebody seven times? That's crazy. Right? What, what do they say? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And a lot of times we will want to say that. And by the way, that's not in the Bible, just letting you know. No, it's not. (laughs) We want to use that to say, well, you know what? I'll withhold forgiveness. And here's Simon Peter, in true Simon Peter fashion, seven times expecting Jesus to say, oh my goodness, Simon Peter, if you forgive somebody seven times, you will have that seat right next to me. And Jesus is like, no, how about seven times 70? And it's not this round number of 490 and 491, you don't have to forgive anymore. He was basically making a point, if you study Jewish uh, gematria, which is the study of Jewish numbers, basically what he is saying right there is, it is perfect, it is limitless. No, limitless. And then Jesus starts to tell this story. And Jesus says, hey, let me explain it this way, Simon Peter. So there was this guy who owed $100,000, this servant, $100,000 to a king. 
And the king calls the guy in and the king says this, hey, the $100,000 that you owe me, I want you to pay it back. And if you don't pay it back, you and your family are gonna go to jail. And the, and the guy's like, oh, please give me more time. And he begs for mercy. Please give me more time to pay my debt. I promise you I'll pay you back. I just need more time. Please don't throw us into prison. And here's what the king said. The king said, I've been moved by your plea for mercy. And here's what I'm going to do. Not only am I not going to throw you and your family in jail, but I'm going to forgive all of your debt. It will be free. It will be clear. It'll be just like you don't owe me anything. All 100000 wiped off. Now, let me ask you, had that been you, you think you'd have a little extra giddy-up in your step leaving the king's palace? Yeah. And he walks out, and all of a sudden he looks, and he sees this guy who owed him 10 bucks. And he's like, hey, 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 you owe me $10. You have not paid me back the money that you owe me. You need to pay me back and pay me back right now. And the guy's like, oh, please, please, I need a little bit more time. You give me a little bit more time. I'm going to pay you back. I just need more time. And the guy said, nope, either you pay me back today or you and your family will be thrown in jail. And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, the king hears what the guy who's been forgiven 100000 of has just done. And he calls him back to the palace. And he says, I understand that you who have been forgiven of a $100,000 debt refuse to forgive someone who owed you a $10 debt. And the servant didn't have anything to say because it was true. And Jesus telling the story said that the king said, all right, buddy, your debt has now gone back on my books. You owe me 100000 you pay it, or you and your family are going to jail. And then listen to this, guys, because this is where all of a sudden you and I get involved. Then Jesus said, in the same way, my heavenly Father will not forgive your sins if you do not forgive the sins that others have committed against you. What? but I don't want to forgive them of their sins. Remember, we've already established it ain't about me. I'm thinking forehead. Forehead, that's where you do it. It ain't about me. The way we repay God for the forgiveness that he has shown us, and by the way, let me just stop and say, let me just stop and say, it's not a $100,000 debt. It's not, uh, uh, it's not a $100 million or $100 billion or $100 trillion or I don't know how much our government owes now. It's not even that debt. We're talking we cannot even put into numbers the debt that we owe to God and He has shown great grace and great forgiveness and great salvation. And He says when somebody comes along, and, and, and I mean, and they, they, they have some little penny debt that they owe you, some little five or ten buck debt, you better be quick to forgive them. Why? Because we've been forgiven of the world. Of everything. And so here we are, and we're like, okay, all right, public debt, I get that, I get that. I'm, I'm just trusting him in this, even though, even though I didn't vote for that guy for president. I'm still trusting him in this, and, and even though I'm, I'm watching Fox News eight hours a day, and can I tell you, some of you need to be delivered from that. The way I see it, 30 minutes is about enough. All you can stomach. They're showing reruns of uh, Gilligan's Island, and... 
Andy Griffith, I was sitting there the other night, I watched a great Wheel of Fortune, turned it over, was on my second episode of the Andy Griffith Show. And Jennifer said, this is what we've come to. I'm now officially married to an old man. I just thought it was great. The wheel doesn't get any better. I have the personal debt, right? The principal debt, Jesus paid it. What was that? My sin. And then he says, oh, by the way, your neighbors, you'll repay me by showing love to them. And you'll repay them with love and forgiveness. And then here's the fourth and final one. Mm, This is good. Your love satisfies all of God's commandments. See, you can sit there and kind of do that whole thing, I'm paying God off, right? I know, I know the debt that I owe, and and I'm working real hard, and I'm going to go through life trying to keep all of God's commandments. Now, let's stop and talk about that. We have in our mind the Ten Commandments, and those are, those are the most well-known commandments, but then there are also 613 other commandments throughout the Old Testament. So if we're going to make a list of commandments from God that we're going to keep, then we're talking about 623 commandments. And so you're sitting there, and you're like, yeah, forget about that whole love thing forget about that whole grace thing forget about that whole surrender I'm doing the list thing and so you write them all out I don't know you put them there in your phone maybe it's a reminder every day all 623 and you come home at night and you're checking them off and you're like all right I didn't do this one today check all right I didn't do this one today check and you're making your way down through the list and you're going to come and you're going to say uh oh I did that one How far are you going to get? I'm thinking about three, maybe four. Guilty. And he says, listen, you need to understand, all the commandments are summarized in love. The very first four of the Ten Commandments have to deal with our relationship with God. And none of us, listen to me, none of us could fulfill a lifetime of being obedient to just the four commandments that have to deal with God. And that's the reason why Jesus said, hey, listen, you know how you can fulfill those first four commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love summarizes those commandments. And in the last six, they have to do with our human relationships. He even mentions them right here. Don't commit adultery, honor your parents, honor your parents, honor your parents, and honor your parents. I'm just saying it so you get it. Honor your parents. And don't steal and don't lie and don't covet. And look at what he says in verses 9 and 10. Paul says, forget the list. I mean, he doesn't say it that way, but that's what he means. Just love people. Because if you love them, you're not going to hurt them. Love always thinks about what's going to affect the other person. And then he says the key to all this is love your neighbor as yourself. I wish he'd said something like this. Love your neighbor the way that I love you. Love your neighbor the way that you love me. But that's not what he says. He says love your neighbor as you do yourself. I mean, like across the Bible, he says it like a half a dozen times. Love your neighbor as yourself. We struggle with that, don't we? 
If somebody said, hey, pastor, you know what? I've got a big button making machine and I'm going to make you this big button so that you can wear. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm not really a big button kind of wearing guy. But let's just say that I wake up one morning, I'm sitting there and I'm getting dressed. I'm like, you know what? Today would be a great day to wear a big button. And you offer to make me a big button and you give me a big button and you say, you know what? What do you want your big button to say? I would say, well, put on the big button. I love you the way that Jesus loves me. Wouldn't that be great? I'd wear that button. Well, on a button wearing day. Or, or, you know, or, or, or if you put, you know what? I love you as much as I love Jesus. Don't we love Jesus? I'd have a hard time wearing a button that says, I love you as much as I love me. Mm. Something about that bothers us. Let's be honest, friend. You'll never be set free to love other people until you accept yourself for who you are in Jesus Christ. You and I both know that the most hurtful people in the world are those who don't, who don't even really like themselves. And because they don't even really like themselves, they can't love anybody else. And yet here is God, God who knows us better than anybody else in this world. Scripture tells us this, God even knows us better than we know ourselves. You say, how can God know me better than I know myself? Because we have these things called feelings. God gave them to us and our feelings will lie to us. Our feelings will basically taint even the way that we view ourselves. And yet God is not tainted by any of those. God knows us better than even we know ourselves. And if he loves us, then we ought to be set free to accept ourselves the way that God accepts us and to see ourselves the way that God sees us and to love others. Please hear what I'm saying today, guys. Listen, if we do not see ourselves the way that God sees us, you say, how does God see me? If you know Jesus Christ is Lord, he sees you as forgiven. He sees you as redeemed. Redeemed means what? Bought back. That's what Jesus did. When God looks at you, God sees you as righteous. What? Me? If you know Jesus, yes. He sees you as a co-heir with Jesus. The reality is, here is God. You're like, does God forget anything? God, God can't forget unless he says, I'm going to forget. It is a choosing to where God sits there and God says, what? What? You have sin that condemns you to hell? No, sir, you don't. What sin? You're in Jesus. And so when we sit there, guys, and you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, and you sit there and you say, you know what, I just don't think that I am anybody. Well, apart from Him, we are nothing, but in Him, we are everything. And for us to sit there and say, I don't even like myself, uh, I, I, I don't even think that, that anything can, good can come of me. When you sit there, and there are some of you that have been told that your entire life, over and over, by people who ought to love you, and people who ought to care for you, and they've made those statements, hear me this morning, you have a God in heaven who loves you. He will never love you more, he will never love you less, he loves you and for you to sit there and say I'm not worthy of love I'm not worthy to be anything what you're doing is you're saying God doesn't know what he's talking about now are you going to tattoo that across your face 
You're like, why are you moved to tears? Because just like you, I know folks that have believed the lie. I'm no good. I'm not worthy. I'm nothing. I've messed up. And yet God says, well, that's who you used to be. But Jesus. No, now. Now you're just right. Several years ago, I was asked to come to a hospital room of a guy in the church that I was pastoring who they had said he wasn't going to make it very much longer. And they were going to try, you know, they were making him comfortable. And they said, we're, we're continuing to up and up the medicine to make him comfortable that eventually he won't be able to communicate and, and then we believe the heart will stop and we don't think he's got much time left. And I walked into the room and he had his family in the room and kids, grandkids, wife was there and he had other people there, some of which I did not even know. And one of the things that he had requested from the family is this, hey, don't, don't, don't ever sugarcoat it. Always make sure that I know exactly what's going on. Please don't keep from me what they're saying. And they had not, and he knew. He knew that he didn't have much time left on this earth. And so as the folks were in the room, and he, he began to speak, and he said, now listen, it's not going to be much longer I'm going to be able to talk. It took all he could to even muster up the energy to speak. And he said, so I've got about five minutes left. Now I want to ask you this. If you only had five minutes left, what would you do? If you only had five minutes left to say what you need to say, what would you say? This guy's like, I only got like five minutes left, so there's some things that I need to say to those of you that are in this room. And he began to tell his children, hey, listen, I said this, several years ago, and I know it hurt, and I know you forgave me, but listen, I'm truly sorry, and I love you more than anything. And then he would move on to the next family member. I know we had some hard times over this, but I'm thankful that out of all the family I could have been a part of, I'm a part of your family. He starts going around the room and some business associates were there. And, and then there was his wife he'd been married to for a long, long time. And he said, he said, baby, he said, listen, I know very few days have gone by where I've not told you that I love you. But I want to say one more time. What a gift from God you are. And then he finished talking to everybody in the room. And I'm thinking, maybe he had me come in case somebody got upset or mad. Or... And here's, here's what he said. He said, preacher, I want you to do me a favor. He said, will you make sure that everybody knows 
Don't wait until the last five minutes to say what needs to be said. Yet five minutes left. The reality is none of us know how much time we have left. You know, the Bible doesn't guarantee that we will have another day on this earth. I mean, yeah, I mean, we could talk about the millennial reign, and es- we, we could talk about that, but the Bible says that this life is like a, a vapor, right? A mist there for a little while, and then it's gone. None of us know. So for me to ask the question, if you only had five minutes left, the reality is that, that could be a legit question. But what would you say? What would you do? There are some of you that are like, there's some conversations I need to have. There's some people that I've been withholding forgiveness from. You know what? I need to extend forgiveness because I've been forgiven much. See, this guy was saved. He knew that if he, you know, he knew that as soon as he took his final breath that Jesus would be there to receive him. He wasn't there worried and questioning, am I really going to go to heaven? He had already settled that in his life. But he was just sitting there saying, there's some things that I need to say that I should have said a long time ago. And it's unfortunate that now I'm on my deathbed with just a little bit of time left. And now I'm saying these things. And there are some of you that need to go have some conversations. You need to pick up the phone and make some calls. There are some of you that if you had five minutes left to say what need to be said, you'd finally, or maybe one more time, share Jesus with that person. One more time. Or for the first time. Preacher, would you just make sure everybody knows, don't wait until your last five minutes to say what needs to be said. Jesus said, don't pay me back. I paid the price. But instead, how about you love and you show forgiveness and compassion to the world because I have done that for you. You know, one of the, some of the final words of Christ, and I use, that, I use that phrase lightly because we know that there are many more words that Christ will speak. But before he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. What do you mean by that? He meant that the very task that he left heaven to come and do had been taken care of. Paying the price for our sin debt. And so today, could it be in these last five minutes, what you need to do the most is receive Jesus as Lord, surrendering to him. I'm so thankful that my friend there in the church, that he was not there on the deathbed. I hope I'm going to heaven. I'm not real sure. I I think I've been a good husband. I've been... No, he knew the grace of Jesus. What about you? You hear me talk about this? If today were to be the last day, does fear grip your heart? Oh my goodness, I'm not ready. You can be. Because Jesus has already done all that needs to be done. 
And he offers that gift of salvation today. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.